Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Friday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And as I remind you every Friday, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. So I hope that you will be in a place of worship where the Word of God is proclaimed and where you can worship with other believers. And I'd love to invite you to come worship with us at Hickory Ridge Community Church. Uh, we meet at 9 o'clock or 1045 either service. Uh, they're basically identical services, so it doesn't matter. Uh, you come either service. We have children's ministry in and, and both services. And uh, we're just excited to have you come check us out, okay? Love to see you this Sunday. Well, I want to talk to you today about belief number 13. Belief number 13 is why should I trust the Bible? Now that's a good question, is it? I'll give you a couple reasons right off the top here. I should trust the Bible because it is alive and it brings us life. I love what the book of Hebrews talks about the Word of God being alive and active. Uh, let me read the text and then we'll go ahead and make a few comments as to why I should trust the Bible, okay? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Let us therefore... Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of the disobedience. Verse number 12, where the Word of God is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So we learn, first of all, I should trust the Bible because it's alive. It actually brings about life. Now, as this passage was written, it's actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 40, where it talks about the grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of God will stand forever. You see, you never have to worry about the Bible becoming extinct. You don't even have to worry about the Bible getting sick. But the word of God is going to stand forever. It matters not how many people think about its demise. It doesn't matter how many people try to outlaw it. It will stand forever. Some people may say, well, the Bible may be alive, but it's really irrelevant. It's outdated. It's antiquated. But I want you to know that the Word of God stands. The Bible stands like a firm foundation. James says this, He chose to give us birth through the Word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that He created. James reminds us that the Word of God is what triggers life or brings about life to us. In 1 Peter 1.23, it says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed, through the living and the enduring word of God. Listen, if you are listening to me right now and you are born again, you are testifying to the fact that the word of God is alive. How did you learn about salvation? Through the word of God. How did you learn about Jesus? Through the word of God. How did you learn about his death, his burial, and his resurrection? Why? Through the word of God, of course. Because the Word of God is alive and it is active. Well, there's something else we can know about the Word of God. The Word of God, number two, is active. All right, it's alive. Well, I know some things are alive, but they're not very active. But the Bible is alive and it reveals our condition. The Word of God is alive and active. Do you know some people that are living, but they're not really alive? There's no life in them. They're simply existing. Well, Isaiah 55 says this, My word will go forth from my mouth. It's not going to return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matters for which I send it forth. You see, the Bible is a great piece of literature. Uh, It's the all-time number one bestseller. It contains history. It contains entertaining stories and poetry and philosophy and personal letters. But more than that, the Bible is God's word. 
One of the ways I know that it is active is because as it goes about the different parts of the world, it's always received, and sometimes it's received, and it's almost an attempt to reject it. Let me give you just a couple of examples, okay? Let's look at Central Asia, for example. In Central Asia, many Christians in that country are told they cannot have the Bible because the Bible is considered propaganda and is not allowed to be imported or not allowed to be printed. The Voice of Martyrs supports the Bible operations. They're actually covert operations bringing the Bible into Central Asia. What about China? Did you know in China, the Bible is illegal or it is highly restrictive? Just last year, the year 2021, the government banned the online sale of Bibles. In addition, they also, in different parts of the country, they refused to have the Bible printed and called it illegal to have the Bible printed. The Communist Party, as a matter of fact, has decided maybe the one way they can beat this is by coming up with a new Bible translation. It's called the Communist Party Bible Translation. It's intended to inject Chinese values, Chinese propaganda, Chinese beliefs into scriptures. Well, how about North Korea? In North Korea, if you are caught with a Bible, you will be sent to a labor camp or worse. There's a lady by the name of Miss Gunn and a small Bible. She had it tucked into her special mop that she was using to clean, and they discovered that Bible. And they found that she was trying to smuggle Bibles into North Korea. As a result, they put her into a labor camp. Just one small example. Now, listen, if the Bible is not active, if the Bible is not alive, why are so many countries prohibiting the distribution of the Bible? Well, let's go off our southern coast of Florida to Cuba. And in Cuba, the Bible is also illegal or highly restrictive. As the government tightens control of religions in Cuba, Christians there fear it will become more difficult to get Bibles. You see, over the years, believers have used a variety of ways to bring Bibles into Cuba, including boats, including hand-carrying individual copies through government-approved shipments. But in Cuba, for the most part, the Bible is illegal. So as I think about this, I want you to know that that is proof that the Bible is active. There's a third thing about the Bible. And not only is it alive, not only is it active, but it is all comprehensive. It cuts and it heals. We learned that the Bible is sharper than a double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. Listen, the Bible can drive right through your thoughts and your spirit, your soul, your spirit. You know, when Nehemiah was the governor, Nehemiah had a wonderful job of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. As he was serving as governor, Ezra was the priest. And Ezra one day decided that uh, he would do a, a little searching, and he found a copy of the Word of God. And the Levites, they were there, and they gathered around, and they listened to Ezra proclaim the Word of God. And this is what we learn in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 9. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, for all the people were weeping. And then they heard the law, the words of the law. As a result of hearing the words of the law, they were convicted, and the word of God brought about that conviction that they needed to get off their blessed assurance, and they needed to start building that wall around that holy city. But not only did they need to build that wall, 
They needed to also look into their hearts. They needed to get right with God. You see, God's word is able to divide the soul and the spirit. Maybe you're feeling down today. I want you to know the word of God can bring about encouragement to you. In Psalm 119, David is at a point where he's discouraged. And he says, you know, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Now, I don't know if you realize how powerful God's word is. Maybe you've kind of gotten complacent about it. Maybe you haven't talked to anybody recently who's had their life changed by the Bible. But I have. Just recently, I talked to a guy at Indian Creek Correctional Center. And this is what he said to me. And this is in regards to the all-comprehensive power of God's Word. He says, I didn't realize how bad of a person I was until I read the Bible. He continued, I didn't realize how much I could change until I applied the Bible. You see, the Bible is all-comprehensive. Every time you use the Bible, it changes you. Well, there's something else that we got to talk about when we think about the power of the Bible. The Bible is also not only active and alive and and all comprehensive, but the Bible is authoritative. It judges attitudes and actions. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's why when I'm not in the right place, I don't want to be in God's word because it it judges me. You know, sometimes I'm not even sure as to why I do what I do. So I've not only stopped trying to figure out why other people do what they do, because half the time I can't figure out myself why I do what I do, but I've discovered that the Word of God, it knows my thoughts. It knows my attitudes. It reveals with all authority. Scripture is authoritative because it is an instrument in bringing God's Word to bear upon every thought in every practice of my life, and every thought, in every practice within the church. That's why Paul said to young Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. He said, that's great. That's what God's word says. But how do the average American, how do they view God's word? I did some research and I found that 31% of Americans believe that the Word of God is authoritative. They believe that God is very involved in our lives and God in His Word judges evil. I discovered also that 24% of Americans believe that God and God's Word is very benevolent. In other words, it can help us guide through our lives and that God is a loving God. He's going to judge evil. And so this is the type of view that that God is more of like a grandfather figure. 16% of Americans were somewhat critical of God in the Bible, and that they felt like God was was not involved in taking note of evil, and that one day he was going to judge us, but right now he's kind of like a a missing-in-action father, right? Some feel like God is like a distant God, and The Bible is not really involved in our day-to-day life. And this is where 24% of Americans would be. And and that God in in the Word is more like a cosmic power, but He's not a personal God. He could have created everything, but He's not really involved. He's he's more of an absent father. And then 5% doesn't believe that God exists and doesn't believe the Bible is relevant. 
And so as we think about this, God is authoritative. He judges the thoughts and the intention of our hearts. Maybe today you are stressed out. And maybe today you're looking at your life and you say, I feel like I'm going nowhere. I feel like I'm on this treadmill and I'm running as fast as I can, but I'm getting no traction. Well, I want to back up just a few minutes and I want to talk about the power that God's word has in us. We are told in Hebrews chapter 4 that we could enter into a rest, but if we don't understand the fact that God's word is alive and active, we will never enter into that rest. I want to look at the overall theme of the book of Hebrews. Overall, there are five dangers that Paul drives home for us as he is going through the book of Hebrews. Overall, the book of Hebrews gives us five dangers that we as followers of Christ must be very careful to avoid. And I want to give it to you one at a time because I think this will help give an overview of why we believe that the Word of God is so powerful. And they're all delineated for us in the book of Hebrews. Number one is the danger of drifting. We find this in Hebrews chapter 2. You see, the children of Israel, they were redeemed. They were redeemed by blood and by power. By that, I mean they were redeemed by the blood. Remember, they had to take that lamb that was without spot, and the dad would take the blood from that lamb and put it on the doorpost. And then they were delivered by the power of God, right? Uh, God get them out of that bondage. And when that death angel came, it passed over those homes that had the blood on the doorpost. And then the power of God releases them from bondage. Now, unfortunately, it didn't take them too long to drift from this truth. So the danger of drifting is found in Hebrews chapter 2. And we see when the children of Israel got to Mount Sinai, it didn't take them long, but they made a golden calf, right? The cost of physical life, 5,000 Israelites. So the question is, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great or ignore so great a salvation, this salvation was first announced to us by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Just as the nation of Israel, although they were delivered by the blood and by the power, they drifted from that truth when they got to Mount Sinai. Just because you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior doesn't mean you are out of the danger of drifting. So we are reminded in Hebrews chapter 2, of the danger of drifting. Number two is the danger of not resting. In Hebrews 3 and 4, we discover that after leaving Mount Sinai, the nation of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. The nation in that great generation accepted God's salvation, but they perished in the wilderness because they refused to continue a life of faith. They didn't rest. They didn't worship. Over one million perished. You see, we're not saved by faith, but the just shall live by faith. So we're not just saved by faith. We live by faith. So here's the danger of us doubting, of not walking by faith and missing the rest and missing his best for us. Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, 
since the promise of entering his rest stands, let us be careful that none of you have found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they didn't share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The danger of not worshiping, not resting in Christ. You know, we are living in a day and age where it seems like a lot of people will say, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. I promise you, you are not worshiping properly if you're not worshiping corporately. We are called to gather together to worship, enter into the rest of worshiping together with other believers. So the second danger is the danger of not resting. The first is the danger of drifting, just kind of getting off course through inattention. The third danger that we learn from the book of Hebrews is the danger of not maturing, not growing up. This was the state of the nation after entering into Canaan. This is when they were under the judges, the kings, and the prophets. It says they never grew up as a nation. They were never able to use the Word of God in their lives. They never applied it to their lives' situation. The result was that thousands upon thousands perished in the seas and the conflicts of the Assyrians and the Babylonian captivities. So you can see how the progression is going here. When they first entered into Sinai, they began to worship a calf, 5,000 died. When they refused not to rest, they wandered in the wilderness and a million perished. Now we discover because they are not maturing, Hebrews 5 and 6 says they never grew up as a nation. We discover under the judges and under the kings and under the prophets that God allowed them to go through seas and conflicts. And here we read in Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 4, these words. We have much to say about this but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and and evil. So here we discover a definition of what it means to be a mature person, one who is on solid food, not just the milk of the word, who have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. We're now into chapter number six, verse number one. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and faith in God. Instruction about cleansing rites, about laying on the hands, about the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. And then verse 4 is very convicting. Hebrews 6, 4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, to be delivered again. Now, that is a convicting passage of Scripture because here we are learning that if you are not maturing, it's because you are not able to get past a certain point in your life. It's probably because you're not born again. 
you've never grow up, it's probably because you've never been born again. There's a fourth danger. We've talked about danger of drifting. We've talked about the danger of not resting, not worshiping. We've talked about the danger of not maturing, growing up in our faith. If we've never grown up in our faith, chances are we are not recipients of the faith. And then number four, the danger of deliberately or willfully sinning. And we find this in Hebrews chapter 10. And here we have the picture of the nation of Israel at this time, and it's the first coming of Christ. They kept on sinning willfully. Christ even spoke a parable against this generation in Luke chapter 20 and in Matthew chapter 21. So consequently, the Lord himself said, The blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, shall be required of this generation, Luke eleven fifty. Now, Josephus even tells us that millions of Jews perished in A.D. 70 under the Roman general Titus. The nation had committed willful sin, deliberate sin. And so here we see how it's recorded in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse number 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and a living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And then verse 24, Hebrews 10, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And then verse 26 is the key point. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So our real danger is this danger of getting to the point that we have backslidden so badly that we are willfully and deliberately sinning. Here we see there is no sacrifice left for sins. And the point is this, if you can continue on deliberately living in sin, then you are in more danger than you can ever imagine because you are in danger of being eternally separated from God. Well, we've got one more to cover. The fifth danger that Paul writes about in the book of Hebrews. The first danger was the danger of drifting. The second danger was the danger of not resting. A third danger was the danger of, of not maturing. The fourth danger was the danger of willfully sinning. And then number five is the danger of indifference. We find this in Hebrews chapter 12. This will be the sin of the nation of Israel during the future, during the coming tribulation. Jesus himself speaks about this in, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 5, and he talks about the five wise and the five foolish virgins, and he, and he shows the difference on the part of even those who profess. He says, many will patiently endure. The Old Testament prophets, they have prophesied that two-thirds of the nation of Israel will perish during the time of the tribulation because they were indifferent to spiritual things. 
Now, you may have noticed that each of these warnings is greater than the previous one and that the failure to heed them brought into case a more severe discipline. Well, I want you to know, we don't have to be caught up in indifference. We don't have to be caught up in the danger of drifting or or not resting or not maturing. Today, we can rekindle that relationship with the Lord. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, that is, if we agree with God regarding our condition, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, unrighteousness takes on many forms. It could be indifference. It could be not maturing. It could be not worshiping. It could be just inattention and drifting. Whatever your sin is, you can confess that today and you will be forgiven. When I think about the wonderful gift of forgiveness, forgiveness is a gift that we don't deserve, given to us by God, who held nothing back to bring about our salvation. If He loves us so much that He gives us salvation, He also loves us enough to sustain us in our walk with Him every single day. Well, thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you on Monday. Have a great weekend. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.